Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about Paul Watson Jr., his current situation with both the Thunder and the Blue, and whether or not I think he is on a hot seat right now for his contract. And I'm also going to be talking about Alexei Pokushevsky and his recent assignment to the Oklahoma City Blue, some of the other guys that also were moved in that transaction, and what it kind of means for Poku, because he kind of sets a new trend in terms of those acquisitions. And of course, guys, like always, I'm going to be giving you guys a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. And you also do not want to miss out any of the action on SI Thunder. Guys, I told you a couple episodes ago that I accepted an internship position with them. It's been awesome thus far. I think I'm up to eight or nine articles here. And a lot of the content you hear on my pods also can be found on on the site so make sure to check that out i believe it is just si.com slash mba slash thunder should get you right there if not just search inside the thunder on google chrome you're going to be good to go but anyways i'm going to start out today's episode with paul watson jr and this has been a situation that i've kind of been monitoring for over a month now and it's weird because I think when we look at this Thunder team and when the majority of fans look at this roster, you're looking at it top to bottom. You're looking at SGA's progression. You're looking at how Josh Giddy is doing, Alexei Pokusevsky, Darius Baisley, uh, when he's either playing well or not so well. Just those types of guys. And then obviously you have the rookies like Trey Mann. Aaron Wiggins has looked uh, very, very impressive. And then obviously Jeremiah Robinson Earl literally took the starting gig from Isaiah Roby. So... You're looking at all of that, and I think the two-way guys don't matter, specifically Paul Watson. Like, I have not heard anything about him. Same goes with Gabrielle Deck. Uh, It's just a very intriguing situation that some of those guys are in, and I think Paul Watson Jr. might be the most intriguing of them all just because of the circumstances for him to get into a Thunder jersey this season. And last year, Paul Watson Jr. was pretty damn productive. He played for the Toronto Raptors, shot 46.9% from three. I think he averaged like 2.4 attempts, and he didn't play uh, anything more than I think like 30 or 40 games. So he wasn't like an 82-game guy, but he went from a two-way contract got that upgraded and was very very productive uh, to the point that the Thunder wanted him over the offseason and the thing with Paul Watson Jr. is you know he's not a young guy in terms of what the Thunder are looking for and what their sort of window is I think there's 10 different players right now under the age of 23 or at 23 on this roster Paul Watson Jr. is 26 and initially going into the regular season the OKC Thunder were supposed to have 11 guys I think if maybe if you include Wiggins it's 12 but they were supposed to have 11 guys that are under 23 and they had one in 21 year old Josh Hall They got him on a $1.5 million qualifying offer over the summer. As you guys remember, undrafted free agent in last year's draft class. Pretty talented guy, like 6'9", pretty long wingspan, point forward type. Don't really know how he went undrafted, but he did. Thunder scooped him up on a very high priority 
two-way deal, and he was kind of battling injuries most of last season, but he did have that very impressive 25-point, I think, 10-rebound game against the Clippers that gave them a couple less ping-pong balls that didn't help him out too much there, but he looked good, and it seemed like with a qualifying offer thrown Josh Hall's way, he was going to be back. 1.5 mil is kind of chump change in NBA terms, but with some of the stuff they were doing earlier in the offseason, look at it. Sfee wasn't getting his uh, his qualifying offer. You had Tony Bradley. He didn't get one either. Those two walked away. Uh, if you're going to give one, it's for legitimate purposes. And Josh Hall got one, and then he signed that two-way contract alongside Aaron Wiggins. So it seemed like it was a done deal there, and that was going to be that. Josh Hall showed a little bit here and there. Makes sense why you'd want him back because he's kind of like a Baisley. I think that's kind of the good comparison since he is more of a slasher off-ball piece but has shown the ability to dribble just a little bit. But they got rid of him. They cut his contract out, bought it out for whatever that salary would have been, and then they picked up Paul Watson Jr. So you make that jump from a former five-star in Josh Hall going into his second season, really hasn't played that much, to Paul Watson, who is a certified veteran, and you know exactly what you're going to get with him. And I think that's the reason they signed him, of course. They want the high floor. They need a guy who's going to fill one set role, and that role is three-point shooting. I talked about it a second ago. Paul Watson Jr. was one of the best shooters last season. He was a certified sharpshooter, and when he joined the Thunder ranks, that's what the story was. There was no two sides to that story. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was productive there. If you're shooting 40.9% over your career span, and then you have that obviously career jump uh, at damn near 47%, you're going to be good. So you get him. And you aid the roster because I think last year they were bottom maybe five in three-point shooting. I think they're around 33 to 34%. Right now they're 30%. They're not good. But you get Watson in as a bench piece who, you know, if you're not looking for those traditional rookies or you're not trying to force feed a ton of development minutes, if you're looking to win and close out games, Paul Watson Jr. was a pretty good vet to pick up, and I do not blame them for making that transaction. It was a little bit weird. I think at the time it was just because the situation the Thunder had been in, but it's kind of passable, right? Like, you bring in Paul Watson Jr., and you know what you're going to get with him, so it's fine. So he started out with the Oklahoma City Blue this season. He's gone up and down a few times with the Thunder. He's currently on the team. He's kind of just been riding the bench, uh, using those days up. But he has not been a game changer from distance or really anywhere uh, from the floor at either level. And I'll start out with the G League. With the G League, it's an interesting situation because Oklahoma City, uh, not just this year but also last year, have been loaded with talent. And it's almost to the point where they can't play everybody. And right now they can't because they have the two two-way guys. They have Aaron Wiggins and they have Paul Watson Jr., uh, backtrack a little bit. You had Trey Mann in there. Teo's back in the rotation. Isaiah Roby's been in and out of there. So there's been a lot of assignments that have eaten up some starting caliber minutes, and you still have a lot of Exhibit 10s with a ton of talent. I'm going to be talking about some of them in a little bit here, but yeah, they do not get 
uh, the minutes they deserve, some of these guys. And you got to put those assignments and the two ways on a pedestal. I completely understand it. And that's what Paul Watson Jr. Uh, kind of has been doing. He's been one of the top options for the blue team when he has played. He's played eight games thus far. And he's been second in terms of field goals attempted uh, per game there. I think Trey Mann is number one. But he's been playing in a 29-minute pallet. He's averaged 13 points per game, which is good. But it's taking him 12 shot attempts to get there. That's not good. That's not efficient, really, by any means. And he's shooting just 38.5% from the field. That's also not great. It's still passable, though. You want to go beyond that. You want to look at his bread and butter. That is a three-point shot. He's not even shooting 30% from there right now, guys. And it's not like last year with the Raptors where he's shooting, oh, just 2.4 attempts. It'd be understandable. He is taking a lot of threes in the G League. He's averaging 7.1 attempts per game, shooting 29.8%. That's not efficient by any stretch of the imagination. And when you're on a two-way contract, when you're 26 years old, when you have those expectations on you, you cannot be faltering. And that's what Paul Watson Jr. has been doing. There's been a lot of games where he's shot 3 of 11, 3 of 12. He just has never found his rhythm. And he's going to stay in that starting unit. They're going to continue to give him reps. He just has not delivered. So what do they do from that? They've moved him to the NBA level here and there to give him some minutes. He hasn't played that many games. He's only played five so far, but he has not been efficient either. Like, he just has not. So, you look at those five games, averaging 1.4 points and 2.4 rebounds, placing just about 24 minutes per game. And on the season, shooting 2 of 13 from distance. That's 15.4%. And when you look at a lot of those shots for Watson... Really, all of them are coming off of wide-open catch-and-shoot jumpers. So, it has not been going his way at the NBA level. You know what? I get it. He hasn't shot enough attempts. Like, 13 attempts, that's nothing. But when you look at the G League stats, that's kind of where you circle it down and you start getting a little bit inquisitive about what could be going on with him, what the situation is like, and, hey, could the Thunder be looking at other options? I said it earlier, he's only played five games. Uh, when it comes to two-way contracts this year, playing time's never going to be an issue. He can play up to 50 games, and that's that. Now, if you want to go into whether he's active or not for some of these games, you might get a little bit higher than five, but there's never going to be a point during this season where Paul Watson Jr. is near that 50-game threshold. I think that's just an afterthought. That's not even something that you're going to talk about. What you're talking about is some of the G League guys that have been performing extremely well who are kind of gunning for that position that Paul Watson currently has because a two-way contract is a win-win situation for both the organization and for the player under that contract because for the NBA team, especially one that's not contending for playoffs, you're going to get someone really for the entirety of the regular season for chump change. 
in terms of NBA money. And as for the two-way guy, you're going to get a major bonus, but you're also getting your foot into that door to make an impact at the NBA level. And that's what this contract is for. We've seen it with Garrison Matthews. One of the Martin twins with the Heat has been going insane. So there's been a lot of really good stories for some of these veterans, uh, but Paul Watson Jr. has just not hit that yet. And some of these other guys have been entering the conversation, at least in my mind, for that second two-way contract. So I'm going to be talking about that in one second here, but first, I want to let you guys know about the very special offer going on at DraftKings Sportsbook. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long, and they will be giving new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets if they score. You score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, pivoting off of that, or really, I want to continue it. Um, I want to talk more about some of the G League guys, specifically two of them who I think have done an excellent job and might actually fill the Thunder's role a little bit better uh, than what Paul Watson Jr. currently has been doing. And whenever I start this conversation, there's a few people that might pop up. If you guys have been listening to my podcast for, eh, let's say like two, three months, you know who Rob Edwards is. You've become familiar with them, and you know that any chance I get to just boast about the man, I do so, because he is a very good player. Um, but I don't see him really breaking the threshold into that two-way contract spot. If you compare him to Paul Watson Jr., I'm going to say, you know, Rob Edwards is probably better. I think right now Edwards is 24 going on 25 years old. He's an offensive juggernaut, though. I mean, he can hit from anywhere on the court. Straight-up shot creator in the summer league. Dude had two 23-point outings. One of which against, I think, the Warriors, he might have had, no, it was against the Spurs. He had 15 points in a quarter. Nobody could stop the man, and he was tapping in on free throw shots. He was getting inside, getting layups, but the three has been extremely, extremely lethal. And even this season, he has been just such a sweet addition. He's averaged 12.2 points in a condensed bench roll. He's shooting 34% from three on seven tries a game. And then when you look at everything else, I mean, he's averaging 2.7 boards 
and 1.8 assists, but he's only playing 20 minutes a game, guys. 20 minutes for 12.2 points. That is serious, serious business. So I like him. I think for the purposes of this, though, I'm going to keep it um, probably a little bit more tailored to what the Thunder need as opposed to who I think is the best player uh, or the best players because Rob Edwards would be definitely in that conversation. But just know, like if Rob Edwards ever signs a two-way contract with somebody or he gets a good deal overseas, he's a very productive player. And I think if the Thunder needed that microwave scorer off the bench, that would be your top option. I think Trey Mann has kind of taken that role a little bit and you kind of have the minutes taken too because you have Kenrich Williams at the shooting guard spot now but he's always going to be an option if he's stuck on that exhibit 10 contract but I want to talk about two other exhibit 10s who I am pretty intrigued by and who I actually think uh, might do a more suitable job than Paul Watson Jr. right now and I think the top contender is Melvin Frazier Jr. And I talked about how Rob Edwards is kind of the flash um, back to the past. If you remember me talking about Melvin Frazier Jr. on this podcast, you deserve some sort of award because it has been a long time. But in the first couple of months, I think it was December, he got signed last season to an Exhibit 10. He played a little bit in the bubble. I was raving about him. I thought he was going to be the guy to get a two-way contract, get upgraded, this and that. He never lived up to those expectations but right now he is looking like one of the best guys of the OKC Blue have to offer and he's kind of doing the role that Paul Watson Jr. was signed to do in the first place and with Melvin Frazier Jr. his career is pretty damn interesting gets signed or gets picked I think 35th in the 2018 draft one spot I think ahead or below. No, no, no. It was one spot below Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. And the Magic take him. They never play him. They put him with the Lakeland Magic, and he was just like an all-star caliber guy. He's top five in steals with that team. He's averaging 18, 19 points per game, but they never gave him the light of day. Any opportunity he got was just shut off. They got Wessa Wundu. Uh, they had Jonathan Simmons at some points. Like they were loading up on these wings, minimum contract guys, and just keeping Melvin Frazier on that back burner. He broke that last season to join the Oklahoma City Blue, and he kind of got in a worse situation almost because he wasn't getting enough minutes. He wasn't productive in his minutes, and it looked like he was going to go either to another G League system or go overseas for this year, but he decided to come back, uh, which I at first was not fond of. I love him, so I'm happy he's back, but I thought career-wise it was a dumb idea just because I think the opportunities would have been better uh, somewhere else, but He's really taken it to his own now, and he's made Grant Gibbs and really everybody kind of question his ability and, you know, if he should get some more minutes, take some of that minute pie away from Paul Watson Jr. potentially, but he has played 10 games to this point with the Oklahoma City Blue, and in those, he's done a really good job off the bench. He's only been playing 19.4 minutes, but he's been averaging 10.2 points, 2.9 rebounds and one assist per game and the efficiency levels have just been off the charts with him so you check it out 10.2 points solid in that time frame that's really really impressive 
But when you look at how he's shooting the basketball and how he's shooting from three, he's on a new level. He's the leading three-point shooter percentage-wise in the G League right now. He's shooting 56.5%, shooting 2.3 shot attempts per game. So you got to take it with a grain of salt, right? Like I talked about Paul Watson Jr. He's shooting two of 13 at the NBA level. Well, guess what? If he hits eight, nine in a row, you're looking at a really high-quality shooter. With Melvin Frazier, you don't have enough shots up yet with him, but... I will say, based on his resume coming into his first season with the OKC Blue, I think he kind of translates as somebody that's shooting low to mid-30s from distance, just because a lot of the shots with him are coming off of catch-and-shoot opportunities. I think when you look at the Thunder, that's still going to be the same role if he does get that two-way contract. So I like him as a shooter. He's not going to be elite by any means. Like 56% is not going to be a steady with him. But I think he still will be able to post some impressive numbers uh, if he does make that jump. But the thing about him and the reason why I like him so much is he's not just this potential catch-and-shoot guy. A lot of his offense actually comes off of cutting. And now, he's not a crazy athlete, of course, but he can get in uh, right there. But I think the other end, too, is a major talking point. His defense has been extremely impressive ever since he was in college. When he was with Tulane, that's how he made a name for himself. It wasn't all these extra offensive possessions, him getting and ones, him getting three after three. It was him getting down and dirty, getting in passing lanes, getting steals, and taking it in transition. And that's what he has done. It's what he did with Lakeland so well. And currently, he's averaging 1.2 steals per game on the roster. And when you're checking out that in the minutes, it just becomes even, even better. The two guys that would be ahead of him here, I guess there technically would be three, uh, would be Trey Mann, Vit Kredci, and then Aaron Wiggins. So when I look at that pack, that's pretty good company uh, for the G League guys. But a lot of it just comes with the on-ball activity and the passing lanes. He's so vigilant there to where he can take it. He has a 7'2 wingspan, so he can get into the equation pretty easily, both in steals and then also uh, rim protection as well. He's a beautiful chase down from his time uh, with the green waves. But yeah. I love kind of his archetype that he would bring. And this is the archetype that Sam Presti has just been waiting for for a very long time. And he's kind of put a halt to it just because the direction of the franchise has changed. But when you're looking at the Westbrook KD days, the Westbrook um, Paul George days, what did they want at that two spot? They wanted a wing who could defend both the two and the three, but could also play as a catch-and-shoot player. Andre Roberson was never that. Josh Hustis never panned out. Terrence Ferguson, he has not panned out either. They've missed every time they've shot that way, but you have a homegrown talent right here who could aid you. I think he's a decent bench warmer. I don't know if he'd be getting consistent minutes, but if you're looking to try to find another guy of that breed, this is a very good shot. And I don't think he's going to do a better job than Kenrich Williams. Kenrich Williams is on a whole nother level in terms of just impact. But if Kenrich Williams gets traded and you want a guy, just a quick fix uh, for his type of play, maybe Melvin Frazier Jr. is that option. I think he's a better option than what you're going to find with Paul Watson Jr. currently. But I like him as that 3 and D wing. 
I, I like I said, I don't think that three is going to stay in the 50s, the high 50s, but he would be a decent project piece and a decent vet you could try to instill off your second or third unit with the OKC Thunder. But the only thing with Melvin Frazier Jr. is it might be seen as a lateral move, right? Like you're already loaded in the backcourt. He can slide up to the three because he is six foot six. Uh, but it still doesn't matter. I mean, you have so many guys down there that Teo Maladone, your minute leader from last season, can't even get time, right? So how is Melvin Frazier Jr. just going to start getting 10, 15 minutes a game? He's probably not. If you're looking for someone who is going to be the most, uh, I guess, cost-effective in terms of playing time, who's actually going to see the court the most, the OKC Blue member you want to gun at is DJ Wilson. And with DJ Wilson... It's interesting because he was not impressive in the summer league, or not even the summer league. The preseason games with the Thunder, he was not good. I remember the BOK game. That's the one where I actually got to sit down there. Clemente was next to me from Bricktown Breakdown. Check that one out. Um, but, you know, he was missing shots. He was looking to chuck it. And I think that's kind of the story that we saw with his time uh, in the preseason. And he gets waived. But then he joins the Thunder on an Exhibit 10, another head scratcher on the surface level, just like it was with Melvin Frazier Jr., but right now, he has looked very good. And when you look at what the OKC Thunder need, the top of that list is a center. And the thing with DJ Wilson, he's not a true center. I think the only true center on the blue or really within this Thunder organization is Olivier Saar. I can't picture him getting a call up right now, but... With DJ Wilson, he's another one of those four or five tweeners who has that potential to be a pick and pop threat. And those are so lethal and so just critical to the Thunder's success whenever they do opt to go for high ball screens. So that's a guy who would be uh, worth that look, especially if you have some injuries where a guy like Derek Favors or Muscala would be out. This would be someone that you'd bring up uh, for those games, and he might be able to give you some decent rebounding, and some decent three-point shooting. But the thing is, his three-point shot actually has not developed this year for the Oklahoma City Blue. He's only shot 22.7% from three. And when you look at his career level for the NBA, I mean, he's shooting 32.9%. So he's been a good three-point shooter. And that's why the Bucks took him 17th a couple seasons ago, because he was a three-point threat out of Michigan. That was his calling card. That's been his calling card uh, through his four seasons of NBA play. I think it's now his fifth. But yeah, I mean, he's not productive right now from three. He has to tap back into that third level, at least in my eyes, to give him this contract. But if he does get there, that's when I think you put him there uh, on that same level as Melvin Frazier Jr. and potentially ahead of him in terms of best fit you're going to find. Obviously, if you want to look elsewhere, you want to look towards other G League teams, you're going to get some more tailored options. I remember last season, I was just going crazy over getting a guy like Dante Hall. And I think right now he's with the Magic. But yeah, like you're, you'll find better options if you want to outsource the talents. But I think in-house, that's going to be your best center with DJ if the three does ripen up a little bit. Because inside, he's been pretty good. And his numbers would not really insinuate he's been doing bad from three. 
He's been averaging 18.8 points, 8.4 boards, and 3.5 assists in 25.4 minutes. This dude should be in contention for player of the week sometimes. He even had a half where he had 20 points and 6 rebounds. So, he can get it done. I think just his size, I think he's 6'10", 7'3", wingspan. The size is able to uh, give him some production at the G League level, but it's not to the point where... You know, he's like a Moses Brown or something where he's just getting offensive board after offensive board. He's just clowning on people. It's not there. And I think that's almost better for him because it lets you know how he translates uh, given he's already playing people at his stature. Now, if he's playing the center spot, which he probably would with the Thunder, yeah, those guys are going to bulk up a little bit here, but I'm not all that worried. I think that when you compare him to uh, maybe a Jeremiah Robinson Earl or something, he'd probably be a little bit better in terms of interior defense. Three-point defense and perimeter defense, probably not. I could not really depend on him to guard like a small forward or something. But at the four and the five, I think he's suitable enough if you want to bring him over. It's just the three-point capabilities that are really hindering him from being on that big spotlight right now for me. Because the Thunder do need shooters. You can't really have fives out there uh, not capable of the pick and pop. And the only guy like that earlier in the season was Derek Favors. I think that doubt has kind of been moved to the side. He's done a good job in the mid-range, but if you want a three-point guy, it could be DJ Wilson, and there's going to be some upcoming games for the Blue. I talked about how Paul Watson Jr. is staying with the Thunder right now, but Melvin Frazier Jr. and DJ Wilson are still active. They will be playing tomorrow in their next contest, and there also might be a new face in Alexei Pokusevsky. This is a big deal here. Poku, his first assignment of the season, comes Tuesday. He comes in with Teo Maladone and Isaiah Roby. In the case of Maladone and Roby, not their first rodeo to the G League. Maladone's already played seven games, and then for Roby, he's averaged a double-double across a pair of contests. Poku has not played uh, with the Blue yet since last February, and he hasn't been sent down there for practice purposes or anything. This is the first time we've seen it for him, and you really put this move under heavy inspection because unlike the other guys I listed, like even even Trey Mann when he was down here, Mann, Maladone, Roby, they weren't getting consistent minutes when they got shipped down here, right? But as for Alexei Pokusevsky, he's been a constant within Mark Dagnall's rotation, and he's played in all 26 of the Thunder games this season. He's only one of three guys who have that claim. It's probably going to drop down to just two if he does suit up for tomorrow's game. And that's kind of where the questions get opened because with the other guys, you know they're going to be back in a little bit. And for others like Gabrielle Deck, for example, he gets sent down there all the time, but it's just for practices. With Poku, this is a movement that is actually going to have some roster implications, whereas the other ones just have not. And it makes you think like, hey, is he seriously going to be playing with the Oklahoma City Blue for the next however amount of time? I think so, actually, because when you look at Alexei Pokusevsky's production this season, it has not been that good. In 14.8 minutes, that's his average. He's put up 4.5 points, 4.3 rebounds, and 1.2 assists. Also has had 1.2 turnovers in there as well. So when you look at him as a player, stat line, 
it's whatever. Break down the shot chart. He's shooting 33.8% from the floor, and he's shooting 20% from three. 13 of 65. When you want to look at the base level, 33.8% from the field. Compared to last season during uh, some segments, that's not bad, right? But currently, that has him third worst in the league among players who have averaged five plus attempts per game. And I also think you have to play like 10 or so games. But yeah, he's in that really, really bottom category right now. And you want to get him out of that. So trying to move him um, down, it makes sense in that regard. And it's not like Poku is a veteran. He's still extremely young. Cade Cunningham is older than Poku by three months. And he's still very young. He's probably top 25 youngest guys in the league right now. Not sure about the latest draft class. But he is pretty much just a rookie right now. And... When you look at what he did last season, he was really, really bad to start the year. He shot 24.7% from the floor and 18.5% from three. And then when you want to look a little bit uh, further into that, I think there was like a graphic just waiting when Poku made his first three-point shot because he missed like his first 10, 11. It took him about five games to finally hit a three-point shot, and it was just a sigh of relief. That's the kind of two-month stretch it was for Alexei Pogusevsky. So he gets through December, gets through January, and then beginning of February, he gets assigned to the Oklahoma City Blue. And this was the biggest blessing in disguise he could have asked for because before, he was actually on the uphill. He had like four or five blocks in a game. I remember when the news initially came out, everybody was a little salty about the move, but it was much needed. That shooting clip is garbage. So he gets sent over, and he, he plays pretty much every game. There's 15 potential games. He plays 13 of them, starts 12, averages 7.9 points, 7.3 rebounds, has four assists, and plays 25.2 minutes in those games. This is the one where you saw saw like a lot of highlights, the no look behind the backs, the out of nowhere, like no look, he's jumping out of bounds, alley-oop to Moses Brown, dude should have been on SportsCenter for that stuff, right? And then he's even launching limitless range threes, some of them go in, some of them airball, but it really does not matter, this was just a learning platform for Poku, and it yielded a lot of success, when you look at the numbers, He wasn't shooting great from the floor, shot 31.1%, shot 27% from distance, but it was just the reps that he really needed. He got to play as a ball handler, which he couldn't really do uh, with the Thunder last season, and he got to deal with those mistakes and just continue to work through them. So he comes back after those 13 games, completely changed man. I mean, he was getting double-digit performances here and there like it was nothing. You look at his averages uh, post-return, Put up 11.1 points, 5.4 rebounds, and 2.7 assists, 32% from three as well. So just a stark increase really everywhere for Poku. And then he obviously had that career high of, what, 29 points against the Clippers. Had a few step-back threes. I think against the Suns, he shot 7 of 7 or 8 for 8 from downtown. Just a lot of bright spots for him. So that was the 
obvious turning point in his rookie season, and I think what the Thunder are looking to do is they're looking to repeat that success they saw from last year. Put him in a situation where he gets to have the spotlight on him again, he gets to work through a lot of pain, He's still young, so he can develop from that, and then the goal is he bounces back as a pretty solid bench piece to the roster, because right now, he has had good moments, but the efficiency is not where it needs to be, and that's sort of that. So, we'll see how they utilize his 15 or so minutes. I know Gabrielle Deck has not been playing. Kenrich Williams, he always deserves minutes. Maybe he moves up to the three. Paul Watson or something gets some of the minutes at the two position, uh, but it will be an ongoing story. Maybe Ty Jerome gets to get some minutes at the two again, and then Kenrich Williams goes to the three. I'll talk about it here and there on the pod, so no worries on that, but yeah, it's interesting on how Poku got shifted down here, and I think it is a little bit different than the other ones we have seen thus far. So the Thunder continue their play tomorrow against the New Orleans Pelicans. As for the Oklahoma City Blue and potentially Alexei Pokashevsky, they also have a game tomorrow. I think the big thing you want to highlight, though, is that they start tournament play next week. December 19th is the first day that the Showcase Cup tournament officially begins. Now, when you look at the whole range of it, technically, the G League season has been part of the G or the Showcase Cup. They haven't they haven't even started regular season play yet. Uh, but the first 14 games are dedicated to this little cup right here. And the way that they do it, I think it's the top six teams from the pool, the top one from every region, and then two wild cards get to play in a tournament. And then for everybody else, you're thrusted into a consolation bracket. Right now, I think the Thunder or the Blue are going to be in that consolation bracket, but it's going to be two very high-intensity games on a larger platform than usual uh, for some of these G League guys, and I wouldn't be surprised if Alexei Pokashevsky is in that mix. So they get two normal G League games, and then next week, they're going to start playing in that little tournament setting, and I'm really pumped up to see how he plays in those two contests, and then maybe he gets pulled back after those four. If not, I think an extended stay would still be good with him. 13 games proved to be enough for Poku last year. I think he probably needed those 13 games to turn that corner. So put him down for 10 or so G League games. That will be A-OK with me. Like I said, though, I'll keep you posted on Poku, keep you posted on the team, and make sure to stay tuned for tomorrow's episode because we are not done discussing this roster. So thank you all for listening to today's episode, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.